Hey, you want to see something really scary? again for listening and today's episode is truly two tribes going to war no it's not the nation of domination taking on los barriquas it's definitely not 3mb taking on los maduras though i am a big fan of we lc yes it is 2014's super feud between two factions that were absolutely dominating at the time it is the wyatt family bray wyatt eric rowan and of course the late great Brody lee luke harper taking on roman reigns seth rollins and of course our own boy john moxley aka dean ambrose so today we have a great guest in to help us out he is from pw torch he is the host of the absolutely amazing pro wrestling paradise to check it out and of course he is a fellow countryman he's actually irish just like myself and the first irishman on the show to join me as a guest he is the absolutely polite amazing and super cool alan forel alan how the hell are you what's the crack I am delightful, Joey. I'm uh, very happy to be here uh, joining you for this show. It's unusual for me to be on the uh, in the, the passenger seat of uh, a podcast vehicle, but uh, I'm going to let you lead the way. I'm going to I'm going to recline a little bit here. I'm going to, you know, close my eyes if I feel like it. I don't need to have my eyes on the road. You you're manning the ship here. So, we're on a ship we're on the road i don't know where I'm, I'm using a lot of uh, metaphors <laughs> here for the podcast but sure hopefully it'll be uh, an enjoyable one for everyone to listen to uh, regardless no with me behind the wheel we are certainly going off the road into a mountain or into an iceberg if we are on a boat but sure 
you know, that's the crack, isn't it? And the best thing about it is I can say the word crack to you and you know exactly what I mean. Every other guy that I've been speaking to or girl has in the breeze what I'm talking about. So crack means fun in Irish, nothing else. That's all you need to know. But <laughs> it's um, not one of one it's not one of the uh, long list of uh, drugs that uh, John Moxley has, says he has uh, tried in his lifetime. That we know of. <laughs> that we know of. But again, this is a John Moxley podcast, but we'd like to at least get to know the hosts or the guests first and see exactly what their background is. So, well, Alan, what got you into professional wrestling? What do you love? What do you hate? Uh, my earliest pro wrestling memory is being terrified seeing a uh, inset promo or one of those like kind of local promos they do on wrestling back in the early 90s. And uh, it was Earthquake. Um, so this is probably like 91 at some stage. Earthquake was bouncing around and shouting and talking about how he was coming to your town. And I assume that meant my town. He was going to do all kinds of heinous things. And I ran outside to my dad who was cutting the hedge. And I expressed my extreme worry about the incoming earthquake. Uh, he probably thought I was talking about a weather issue and being like, uh, we don't really have earthquakes here, Alan. Uh, and I was like, no, 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 he's coming. And my dad was probably like, he? What are you talking about? Um, but that is my earliest wrestling memory. I am I have to assume I just kept uh, watching from that point onwards just to keep tabs on Mr. Tenta to make sure he wasn't going to show up at my door and just to be ready for him if if he did so I'd know what he was going to be likely throwing at me. Um, so I uh, kept watching and eventually would see such a, a, a amazing angles as the Jake Roberts snake bite and the um, barbershop window. Uh, those are some other early memories and then kind of you know, I think that 91, 92 period where everyone here and in the UK as well were going through kind of like a wrestling boom. It was such a, a big period that every all the kids my age were all watching wrestling. But I think what generally happened is, and I don't know how much you could identify with this as well, Joey, but what I think to be the case is that a lot of people got out of wrestling then in the mid 90s and those of us who stuck with it well we were in for life because if you're sitting through some of the dreck that uh, i sat through as a child then yeah it uh, i never had a time in my life where i wasn't watching wrestling continuously so uh yeah unlike my quitter wife who took like two years out she doesn't have much brock lesnar memory from his initial run so like around like she's never been able to pinpoint the exact years but uh, around like 2002 2003 she was she got out of it she was too cool for wrestling as a teenager um nope i was plenty uncool as a teenager to be watching my wrestling getting into my ecw getting into my ring of honor getting into my japanese wrestling in college and uh, yeah it was pretty locked in from that point onwards i could definitely relate in the sense of being one of the few hangers on to professional wrestling in ireland in the 90s while everyone else jumped out after probably probably around brett and owen or after hogan departed i stuck on for you know jean-pierre lafitte and hakushi oh, yeah. and Isaac Man, yes this is the new generation surely grabbed me by the balls and i wasn't i was happy to keep going it was it's basically my eastenders is what i always tell people everyone else you know <laughs> likes their soap operas this is my soap opera and this is what got me into it and i stood on till the attitude era when everyone else started coming back i was like i know what's going on you don't haha that's yeah, what mid, i get for mid, my reward mid 90s for me was kevin keegan todd pettengill those are my shepherds through the mid 90s newcastle united and wf new generation i'm assuming that you're rocking a philippe albert mustache right now that's the way i'm visioning <laughs> you right now of course i was on the other side of things being a united fan so was fergie and probably wouldn't have been anything really special anything from a wrestling point of view or just a collection of new generation guys <laughs> I was in a room full of United fans, uh, both my friends and, and their dads, uh, watching the 5-0, having been in the same room with the majority of the same people a few months earlier in the Charity Shield, where United trashed Newcastle 4-0 and they gave me an awful time. And then I was able to really throw it back at them uh, in, a, in a big way with the 5-0. Oh, I, I loved the Newcastle kit around that time with the with the big star, the, the Newcastle brown ale. Yes, yeah. we had some some great players. I think that that's the thing I was I used to think. Do you know what? If you know it ever somehow fell by the wayside, I might pick up Newcastle. They've got obviously Shearer, who's starting to bang in goals. He had Robert Lee. I used to, I used to love him as a midfield dynamo. Barry Venison. Oh God, Pavel Sarnicek. Oh. Steve Howie, Darren Peacock. 
I'm just naming defenders here. It was yeah. the attack that was the superstars. I mean, come on, Tino Spria, like you, you don't get you don't get greater than that. And if you just tuned into the podcast today, this is now the Ketsuboya podcast. We are not John Moxie whatsoever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll we'll get back on topic. Similar we, lunatics though. <laughs> great players, great players. There's actually a lot of the now you say it, there's there's a lot of similarities between Tamiri Ketsuboya and, and John Moxley. Yeah, he's both they both very angry young men. Very talented young man. It was a great time, really, to be a fan of professional wrestling, and that's what got you into it. But now we're talking John Moxley podcast. We're looking back at his career, and what were your first early memories of, you know, John Moxley or Dean Ambrose? Did you catch his indie run? Was it FCW, or was it when he debuted with Shield? I remember first hearing the names John Moxley and Jonathan Gresham around the same time on the old uh, Mike and Tom podcast uh, with uh, Blast from the past. Yeah, that was um uh Tom Green and uh Mike uh, Falcone had their podcast um back in like 2009 to 2011 I would say and uh, I remember hearing about a John Moxley I think it was a dog collar match maybe with sammy callahan that they were they Mm -hmm. were praising and that that was my first time hearing about moxley i'd probably seen him wrestle on velocity a couple of years prior to that because he of course did some some velocity tapings or might have been even something like heat um he he was with daniel uh, brian danielson i think he had a match with the big show he had the long hair he had uh just very very different look than when he became kind of the what he became known for on the indies but i wasn't i didn't watch czw stuff at all i didn't really watch his wxw stuff i know him and sammy were were pretty big there as the Mm -hmm. the switchblade conspiracy in wxw where i would have seen the most mostly would have been dgusa um and uh, i became a a big fan of his work there. His promos were obviously amazing. Going on YouTube and just watching John Moxley promos was a thing that everyone who was an indie fan at that time, I think, uh, certainly did uh, because he was very captivating with his promos, as I'm sure you've you've talked about here on the show. Um, yeah, just a, an enthralling guy, a, a guy that felt like someone from a, a bygone era, a, a wild card of a character, and someone that you couldn't predict what he was going to say next, and he'd he'd leave you with your jaw on the floor. And yeah, it wasn't totally smooth sailing in Trangy USA and evolved for him. Like there was some, it was hits and misses, but the good I think over over uh, weighed the bad, and he ultimately had a very strong run there with a couple of really good matches towards the end of it and then it was like yeah okay he's going to fcw and i'll follow him on this journey and uh i actually really i really started to like his stuff that i'd see out of fcw the stuff he did with rollins the stuff he did with regal and then it was just kind of wait to see him get called up for the main roster and i'm sure that felt like a a lot longer time for him than it did for for me watching based on uh, everything you've ever heard him say about his experience and developmental back in the day when it was still a lot more old school than performance center like it wasn't the cushiest of environments there in fcw working for for steve kern not that steve kern wasn't a very good boss i think they all say very good things about him but i mean like pay wasn't great guys were just packing into cars working street team postering to do things yeah it was a long way from what things would become with nxt and the performance center it was a riot of passage. I always, if we want to stick to the football team for a second, I always imagine if he was a footballer, he'd be like Gattuso who played for AC Milan. There's nothing fancy about John Moxley, but he gives you 100% and you never know what he's going to do. Like he said, he has that unpredictable mentality, which Gattuso also has. So if you don't know Gattuso, he was a bit of a bastard on the football pitch. Oh yeah, big time. But we're here today. We're talking about the Shields run in 2014. and. More specifically, their little series with the Wyatt family. Now, first of all, he's teaming Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. What was your thoughts about this group when they entered WWE? Initially, I didn't really know what I made of them. And it was, I think, probably as the same case was for a lot of people when they had that first big match at TLC 2012. I think it was like, oh, here and now, this this is something. And really, when I think 2013 in the WWE, it's just, I think, great Shield matches on TV constantly. Tags, singles, trios, they were just them. And, and Danielson and a couple of others really drove that to being the best in-ring year 
in WWE for a long time up to that point, and I would say certainly since that point. Um, I don't currently watch WWE anymore, but based on everything I hear, it's a Certainly not a patch on 2013 WWE. I think it was in many ways their last very good year. I don't want to say great because they definitely made some missteps. They always do. But when I look at like my match of the year tracking list where I just track everything that's like four stars or higher. Like it's an insane number number of matches from WWE compared to the years years. prior to that. Yeah. So Uh it was was a really healthy and ring year. Like a lot of the better workers on the show were... Were giving ample t- given ample time in the ring and all the pay-per-views delivered really strong that year i don't want to say i'm a big fan of 2013 WWE because I'm, I'm really not a big fan of any it was the WWE best of a bad since. bunch would that be the best way to describe it <laughs> yeah like i just in general i just don't view myself as a WWE fan since like i don't know like 2004 or something maybe crazy like that so yeah but for my relationship with WWE at that time it was a, a really a, a really good year and i think it kind of continued on into the period we're going to talk about with early 2014 and then i think it in many ways peaked at 2014 wrestlemania and i remember walking out of that mania thinking oh my god they are they've turned this everything around they are going to be because they just like that 2014 was when wrestlemania week was when devitt finished up in new japan and you knew he was coming in cesaro won the andre battle royal and was just red hot at that mania like the reaction he got i rewatched it the other day for when i did a podcast about cesaro on my show and so uh, over it was so over so you'd like like i was thinking okay well he's a main eventer now devitt's gonna come in he's gonna probably get over as a main eventer you got all these guys coming through nxt who look like they're gonna be the business nxt was on fire at this point and the the shield are just like mega over danielson's the champion now. like being in that new orleans superdome for danielson winning that title like it felt like such a great moment and it was like it didn't even take them a month for all all that potential to feel like it was just washing away to see and that's basically what happened over the next six months and they did pretty much everything the opposite of what i would have done my interest never really recovered so yeah it was uh where what the stuff we're going to be discussing today is basically from the the end of what i thought was the last chance of being a promotion that was you know for me well at this particular moment in time it's very clear that the shield have definitely morphed or at least molded into a roman reigns vehicle more than anything else they are hitting great strides with their matches and they had a really great strong 2013 after a very strong debut at tlc but they're against another team here who are also coming in very strong and it's very rare to have two very good strong factions being built side by side will actually meet each other and you have the shield now who are they haven't they don't lose many matches and if they do they look very strong in defeat and you have the wyatt family who are coming in who are really over with the crowd they're they've they've looked very strong different sort of dynamic but bray and this two minions rather than the three sort of well-oiled team of the shield but what did you make of these two teams finally clashing at elimination chamber first of all the, the build itself and the match that we're going to be re-dissecting in two seconds well, looking back on it, I forgot a lot of the circumstances that kind of led to this. So uh, I looked back on it and I saw that they had a, there was a 12-man tag at the end of November 2013, where the two teams teamed up against each other, against like a big babyface group. This was the leading into the family, Survivor Mysterio, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Daniel Bryan was there, um, Usos. Um, so they basically had like a super team of shield and wyatt's together and, and it didn't like all break down between them then but i think that was kind of when they first started kind of crossing paths and then it seems like they kind of with the shield kind of starting to be at odds a little bit with uh the authority which was the the big heel group at the time with uh triple h having sort of granted randy orton the WWE championship um so they were slowly turning the shield face but it wasn't being done as one like big moment face turn it they were taking a more 
gradual approach with it, which I appreciate. Much more that. slow burn, which is yeah. very rare to, in WWE. Usually they yeah. rush through these things in two weeks. I liked it, and they used the Wyatt family as a vehicle to aid that along because, well, spoiling the, the outcome here, they they lose to the Wyatt family in in the first two matches they have against them, and it kind of portrays the Shield as a sympathetic group for the first time in their run, and they're trying to stand up to the authority. They're trying to stand up to this other big-time faction, and they're falling just a little bit short, so you're giving the crowd a reason to rally behind them and then you're also making them look as cool and badass and likable at every turn you can without actually as i said without actually doing that this is the moment they turn face you're also gradually having them just wrestle heels as which i like that to be a way to turn someone instead of having a big oh now i'm a good guy or now i'm a bad guy just have them change who they wrestle against but stay kind of as they are and then gradually subtly make changes to the presentation to fit with the fact that a group or a wrestler is a heel or a face going forward and and that's pretty much what they were doing and i think they paced it well i think they did all the right things story story wise everything about this worked for me it was just they got it to a point where they had money in the bank with the shield as faces heading into a feud with evolution and then they just did all the wrong things from there that's looking ahead just a little too much oh well we'll get to that eventually soon enough on the show but like you say today it's all about the wyatts and the shield and this build is fairly simplistic it's going towards elimination chamber you have three faces taking on the shield who are now obviously getting a lot of good reactions from from a crowd point of view the winners go on to go into the Elimination Chamber. But, of course, John Cena and co are interrupted by the Wyatts, who unfortunately cost the Shield the match. And now there's tension between these two guys going in. And you can see, finally, these two super factions are going to be colliding and they're on the same sort of trajectory. The, the Shield aren't too happy what's going on. The Wyatt family are like, you know, more cool and calmly and collected. They're egging them on. They're saying, come on, let's get, if you want it, you want it, you've got a problem, let, let's sort this out. And it's a simple build that brings us to Minneapolis. But at the end of the day, like, I don't think there's anything wrong. It's, it's a simple, you've wronged me. We're going to take you out. We're going to settle this in the ring. And these two teams were really, really over the crowd. And by the time we do get to Elimination Chamber, anticipation for this particular match is, is off the charts. Yeah, it really is. It feels like a big showdown. And it feels like something that the crowd are naturally excited for, as opposed to, you know, what you get a lot nowadays. And I think what we saw with um, some stuff on NXT over the years, I think there was just much more natural raw feeling to this and the crowd were genuinely emotionally invested in it and also genuinely excited for it and the word they use to describe the match a lot is a uh, is it's a uh, an apocalypse as uh, is, is what they kind of call it having these two big forces go head to head it was just going to create this apocalypse and that's kind of what these matches felt like they were just especially the first one the elimination chamber they just tear they just tear the house down they tear into each other it's just it's wild it's chaotic it it feels like two uh, armies going head to head and just there's strategy at play but there's also moments where strategy is thrown out the window and it's go at your gut and yeah it's it's done really well and what I liked was I thought they were given time to, you know, build this. Um, they they weren't shortchanged for time that night at Elimination Chamber, that's for sure. Well, like, the first thing we'll notice, obviously, here is, like, they're following a Titus O'Neil, Darren Young, who was now Fred Rosser match. He wasn't at the level he probably was back then. But so the crowd very really sat through probably something that probably was very unappealing. And now they're going to be getting something that they really want. So the atmosphere is they're, they're dying for this they want this they really want to see these two teams collide and tear limb from limb from each other and the side story to this is of course just tension within the shield we've got dean ambrose who's the u.s champion and he's not really defending it much and it's caused a little bit of friction between him and roman reigns and seth rollins is kind of trying to keep the two together but it's subtle you know real issues between the two of them but it's, it's enough there to sort of you know at least play into the story that we'll see future in the match but they, we heard we're here in the target center the place is going absolutely crazy 
praise for these guys. This is awesome chances bellowing out before these two teams even get into the ring together. What were your thoughts on what I consider probably match of the year contender? Yeah, I gave this five stars at the time. I thought it was very much a match of the year contender, I think. For me, rewatching it now, I probably wouldn't put it at as high of a level. But I think part of that is because we've seen this match structure and match style uh, bastardized a little bit in the years since I mentioned NXT and I think kind of like Undisputed Era and um, some of their like War Games matches and stuff like that where I felt this match was kind of maybe a bit of an inspiration for a lot of stuff um, and a lot of things kind of became tropes in WWE so based on that it's not it wasn't as satisfying to me on a rewatch eight years later as it was in the moment when it just felt so fresh and new but that's just because of how high I thought of it at the time like it still was massively enjoyable to watch uh, with today's eyes the way I would look back on it myself would be at the stage WWE rarely you know succeed in delivering a, an authentic dream match and when these two teams come together you're thinking this is going to be awesome but at the same time you're thinking mm, WWE have a tendency to botch these completely so it's hard to get your hopes up so when they actually do deliver you know it, it, it nearly gets blown out of proportion to a certain extent I really enjoyed it myself but like you say on par with some of the work that we've seen in the last 10 years since it is hard to give a full five stars like I can see Dave Meltzer himself gives a four and a quarter which I think is to be honest with you in hindsight is pretty fair though I think he got a lot of flack at the time for not giving a, a much more higher score compared to other ones he would give across the water but this match I think was really enjoyable like it's definitely excellent professional wrestling whether it hits the bar of five is another story but like what parts did you like about this match? I just like the layout of it I thought it was all it was all it felt like it was done in, in stages really well without having a feeling of being overly produced at any point in time. I think Ambrose really got to give him credit for helping with that because he was so good at just the kind of wild, brawling, out-of-control style. The jaw-jacking, for example, at the start yeah. of the match. He's like, he's like, he's off a leash here and they're trying to control him so he can get a bit of a sense of strategy. But he's like, fuck this, I'm going all in. And it was a really good way to start this match from like from that point of view. But like, like I, as much as this is a John Moxley podcast, I think Luke Harper in particular. Brody Lee as well. Was, he seemed like the general, you know, because on his side, he's he's the most experienced guy. Right. And he's both in terms of time and also in terms of high profile matches like he had worked with great guys in Dragon Gate USA, Chikara. He'd been all around the Indies and he was, he's so knowledgeable. He's such a knowledgeable wrestling mind um, that I think he was very important to, to his team and to the dynamic of the match because, you know, you've got Bray who I'm sure is putting his creativity into the mix and putting his spin on things. And Brody Lee was probably a great guy for filtering that stuff and being like, that's a really good idea. Here's where we should place it. Or no, that won't work. And filtering out certain things that maybe like someone like Bray might have been excited about, but just wouldn't have fit the match or whatever. So I think it, it's very clear he is, uh, and you, you can, it's become more clear over the years when you'd hear his peers talk about him and the respect they had for, for him, that he was such a, a leader in the ring and someone who everyone respected a ton and thought the world of as a wrestler so um and look eric rowan is is what he is but they always find a way to use him well he in excelled the a lot in these multi-man matches you can see in his most recent one here in modern day at revolution he, he excels when the you know he has little pieces to do and yeah yeah you don't want him controlling the heat or anything like that like it's or you don't want him being face in peril or anything or the matches depending on him selling his his ass off for 10 minutes like you you want him you come in and pick his spots um have certain things planned out for him he won't let you down he'll be in the right position he'll execute when he needs to do well and i think that's where he he worked well he's not a ring general but short you know, short sharp bursts is the best way to describe yeah, it like you exactly. say get in get out single matches aren't his thing and that's okay Listen, not everyone is going to be an excellent singles wrestler but he excels in these kind of trios matches or tags matches where he can come in do his bit and get back out and again perfectly 
played his part in this match. But like we say, Brody Lee, Luke Harper, this was probably the first match in WWE that he really had a chance to shine as well. He's always been kind of a lackey minion type, but here he looked like he was the MVP. Yeah, he really he really spread his wings uh, a lot in this match. You could tell he was probably doing a lot more stuff that he hadn't done prior to this. Like him and Rollins did that um, top rope German suplex flip through spot. Um, which the crowd just went crazy for it. I that went was crazy huge, for it. I, I loved it. I forgot about it. The only thing is they kind of ruined that by replicating the exact spot in yes. the rematch. And which, didn't do it as well. Yeah, which it just doesn't make sense that like the same thing would happen again. It's just it was just silly. Uh like I get why they did it. It was it worked the first time, so they but you know, it's the type of thing that sort of exposes wrestling as fake when you take a natural in the moment counter like that and run it back um the law of diminishing the, returns if you will yeah for sure but the first time it was done it was it was brilliant the crowd go crazy for it it starts off kind of one of these moments in the match where rollins just goes absolutely crazy with dives and fire and and rollins was really developing into a great baby face tag team wrestler at, at he was this point exciting. again he, he was, was fast so and furious he was so exciting he could sell the crowd would, would would have sympathy for him but he could also make a great hot tag and he was really developing into a great babyface worker but i think where his problem was whenever his character had come true or whenever he had to open his mouth he was just so unlikable He's a natural this... cocky prick. I think that's what you see in him. You, you I, see that today I, in him, but honestly, he I works even, like a face. I honestly don't even know if it's the cockiness that bothers me the most about him. But which it certainly he does come off as cocky. But the thing that always hits me first is how just corny and lame he comes across and everything. Disingenuous is the word I think yeah, we'll, you're, you're we'll looking for ab- nearly. We'll talk about the promo at the end of the last match later, but that it really comes true in, in that. So I'll save so more thoughts on him for and his personality for when we talk about that. But um, yeah, in terms of just actually belt bell, uh, he was on fire in this. Everyone was on fire. Everyone played their role perfectly. They six wrestlers with six different roles in a match all executing their roles to perfection and it coming together with ending up a great match as a result so um yeah i i wouldn't change a thing about this i think it's awesome that we got like a super clean finish and the the wyatts went over clean which was important for bray going into a match at cena at wrestlemania i think booking wise this was this was done perfectly well you can beat the shield because you're going turning them face you're in the process of turning them face Beating them is a, a good thing to aid that along because, like I said, it gives the fans a reason to feel sympathy for them and rally behind them more. So just the, the perfect result, the perfect execution. And you had six guys who were all relatively young, especially in their WWE careers, getting all getting a chance to shine and everyone were the better for it. How rare is that in WWE, especially modern day? It doesn't happen. And that's why this match is, is so special. You had six guys going in, all six guys look better for it on the way out and the callback to how the shield really were they're usually the guys who are dismantling people and you know cornering people in three and ones yet to finish the matches roman being outnumbered here sets gone for a table spot you have ambrose has gone missing completely and he's just he looks strong as he comes back and tries to beat him up but he is just numbers gamer just too much for him and it works in so many ways and everyone gets over yeah absolutely yeah everyone got over roman was like Roman, they they beat Roman here, but it was in a way that I think really works and made him look stronger in defeat. Uh, so, yeah, they were at this point doing everything right right with Roman, and yeah, I was I was a big fan. I thought he he came off as such a star and someone you wanted to get behind as a top guy baby face. He just that was the that was the point of it. Like, again, like they're a vehicle to get him over, and that's fine. He clearly has something, and I do not blame WWE for getting behind this guy. He's getting good reactions. He's been protected. His weaknesses have been hidden or picked up by the other two. Well, his and he's improving. Yeah. Yeah. And we get to his promos as he gets improved as well, because he gets better as he goes on. And it's just a pity that he wasn't really allowed the, the freedom to really be himself as, as he went forward. And this match, again, it's really excellent stuff. I really enjoyed it. But I feel like this is where the, the series of matches peaks for me. And 
I think this could have been the beginning of a really good out war till at least the midsummer or maybe to the end of summer. But this, they kind of just leave this to the one side, and the rest of the matches are just more or less footnotes in the rest of the story for for the Shield more than anything else, more than the Wyatts. Like the next match is, is two weeks later, and already the Wyatt family are segued onto scene and much more. We have the Shield who are putting their faces up against the authority, and it just feels like this match, the next match, Wyatt's and still an excellent match, and again it fits a good storytelling perspective it just hasn't got the same oomph in it anymore what would you, what were your thoughts on the next match two weeks later on Monday Night Raw I didn't have huge memory of it um, I knew they did wrestle after the pay-per-view um, I knew they hit the main event match which is the third one we're going to get to I didn't specifically remember this Raw match but it, it rang a bell once I started watching it and then when I saw what they were mainly trying to get across in this match was this potential rift in the shield and how they played that up and what they were basically doing was the idea of breaking them down in terms of their seemingly totally well fortified relationship with each other for the first year in the company showing all these cracks but then having them come back together and get on the same page and then it was like okay now they're on the same page they're unstoppable and we love them i think was the the reaction they were hoping to get from the crowd which they did but this was this match was i think the peak of kind of the splintering within the group with it mainly centering around ambrose and accusations of maybe going missing where did he go on the pay-per-view and uh, where did he go <laughs> yeah and he, he he cost roman reigns a match in the interim as well um he was just kind of a, a bit aloof with the rest of the group and Rollins was trying to keep everything keep everyone on the same page but it wasn't quite working so yeah they were going through some troubles but they this show was in Chicago it's always a hot crowd it's a rematch from a match that everyone loves love this and of course, we we only just recently lost CM Punk as well. So there's plenty of Punk chants, but eventually they go away. And we have even a rare Roman Reigns chant as, as we go on. Like that was something so, it doesn't happen. Even today, it doesn't really happen to the same extent of what it was good. These guys were really over. And the, the, the chemistry, I think, especially between like Brody Lee and uh, Seth Rollins is really, it shines through here completely. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's like a a mini version of the the pay per view match. A lot of stuff's kind of the same, but condensed. And but they the purpose of this one was more just to get across the Ambrose storyline and having set the leave the other two and tell Roman that they need to sort it out between them and Dean and Roman then kind of coming together and giving it their absolute best shot as the crowd get behind them and they're in this two and three disadvantage. And that's actually a big point that I wanted to mention that I think a huge thing in turn, a huge factor in them turning face or one of the things that they had part of the gradual turn of the shield into a major face act was the, the identity of the shield as heels in their first year was all about, they used a numbers game. They always they always stay ahead with the numbers game, which is kind of a heel trait uh, to an extent. Just outnumbering your opponents, even if it's done in a fair and square manner, is kind of, you know, subconsciously to fans will be seen as kind of a, a shortcut. But at the pay-per-view, with the two lads getting taken out and Roman being all on his own and the Wyatts being this well-oiled machine who always stayed ahead numbers-wise in the match, it had the Shield as victims of their own what they're what they were known for as heels it it turned it turned the the it turned things upside down on them and then you get the same thing going on here to an even bigger extent or a, to a less subtle extent i should say with roman and moxley being left all alone to to battle the three guys from the whites and once again falling short but after a valiant effort to win it with the odds against them so they're own two, but they've gained so much and they're so ready to just be top babyface stars coming off this. And that's nothing, as you say, is more evident than WrestleMania when they're against the, the New Age Outlaws and the Den Corporate Kane. They are mega over with the crowd. The match yeah, I exactly just a, great, a, a quick kind of personal story with that is I again, I remember coming out yes, of that. Really Alan, crazy. personal story. This is what I came for. <laughs> well, I remember, as I said, coming out of that mania, just being on such a high about potential things over the next year in WWE. But 
I as as big of a moment as Daniel Bryan winning the title was and everyone yesing for me the moment that I remember most losing my mind on that show was during the shield entrance when they walked down through the stands by our section and it was like you felt like you were a teenager at a show in the sportatorium in Dallas, Texas with the Von Erics coming out. Like everyone was, you, there was just shrieking. There was people jumping up and down at just the mere presence of these three baby faces. Or, or Sarah um, had to take that concert in the nineties. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> take that concert or um, maybe a, a Korean, uh, uh, k-pop band nowadays i i don't know um but uh yeah they were so over as faces and the match was like not even really anything like it was just a bit of a squash but it was just all about the shield dominating and that's that's what they did at that wrestlemania they come out of that and they really sealed the deal on them as being faces the the is it the next night on Raw where Roman Reigns spears Triple H? I, I believe That's it is. It. Yeah, and they set up the evolution path for the Shield. And this is where these are firmly in the face camp. There's no denying that they've been set up against a heel team who I think nearly is nearly a vehicle to nearly help Triple H even appear relevant in the next coming weeks. But this is where things start to go a little bit downhill in terms of storyline for them. Like again, they're two days now away from WrestleMania and we're here to battle the, the Wyatt family on a, a main event back when main event was a a decent enough show for WWE to promote and like that's another thing I discovered when rewatching the Cesaro uh, Claudio matches was um he had some bangers on main event and yes. when, you, when you go back and watch the, some of those main event shows on the network they're really satisfying presentations they I'm convinced so- no one like in creative gave a shit about these matches and that's why they excelled so much people I was like you can even see it in the Roman promo before the, the Wyatt match he feels like he's being himself there's no he doesn't appear to be in a scripted sort of manner and he's having a bit of fun and it's true likability shines true and it's so rare that that happens because usually they're completely constricted or confined by the, the scripted nature of how their, their presentation is and Roman I think he really looks like a, a star in this particular promo yes yeah, Renee is in the ring and uh, it's funny I um, had in my head a memory that this was like the first time we saw Moxley and Renee interact in a flirtatious manner in uh, in WWE and then as I was watching the promo and Moxley just spends the whole promo coughing up a lung and saying his rib <laughs> is broke I'm like does it feel like he's like where, how am I misremembering this? And then Renee says something about the authority thinking the shield or nameless, faceless, uh, or whatever. And Roman Reigns gives her an eyebrow and says, Renee, baby, do I look faceless to you? And she's all smitten, like, oh. And I was like, oh, it was Roman that was flipping with her. That's where I had my memories crossed up on this. And he proceeds to cut this amazing pro. He says that line and the crowd pop. And then he goes, Cajun Dome, do I have a name? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, what's my name? And they all chant Roman Reigns. I'm like, oh, my God, it's so insane to think this guy who's got the crowd in the palm of his hand, is going to be saying things on a microphone a few months from now that's going to cause the crowd to just totally turn on him. It didn't feel even possible that they could turn on this guy as a babyface. It seemed like he was the most banker, everyone wants to love this guy babyface since the rocker stone cold like oh, and too many cooks definitely spoiled the broth in, in that sense he was oh, micromanaged I, I, I think i think it was probably just one did the job on that to be honest <laughs> oh god it's just Suffer, a shame suffering succotage oh god that's bad memories oh no 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 let's forget about that one as much as we can put that in room 101 it's it's just a shame because this match in particular again it's it's probably not it's it's a really fun tv match it's it's probably fun to give them their win finally yeah you know to, now they've turned full face. They're they're being pushed for this big program with evolution. You need to tie up the loose end of the fact they haven't beaten the Wyatt family. Um, you if you were going to keep them together, which I think would have been the play, maybe you don't argument. need to tie up that loose end. Maybe it's good to kind of leave that out there, something that you can go back to. Like 
if you keep them as baby faces together as the shield you can have a year from now have them face the wyatts and be like they never beat the wyatt family this is the one thing they they never were able to do um so that would have been good but the fact that it obviously makes sense now with the fact that they broke them up they wanted to make sure that they got that win over the wyatts I bet you love the head squeeze by Ron to Ambrose Jordan, that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Always always enjoy a good head squeeze. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Satnam Singh and Kona Crush. Oh, Satnam Singh, the most popular man in professional wrestling today. But uh, like, again, like this Rollins again in this particular match, he looks a million bucks. He is flying around with dives, somersaults over the ropes. He is just going a mile a minute. And like we see again, it's it's to be honest, Rollins is nearly playing the Roman Reigns role in this particular. He's the one who's getting all the shine. He is looking really well. And Roman is, is he plays his part, but this is a completely different dynamic than the other two matches. And it's nice to see the Shield pick up a win here through the old. Dirty Deeds, Bulldog DDT, which isn't really one of my favourite moves whatsoever. No, but... it looks terrible. It's such a WWE. Oh, you need to be able to hit your finisher on anyone. It needs to be safe. And, uh, and just such a end up move. with just this just terrible, generic, boring move. Yeah. Up there like, with the stroke. I, or the, I'm, not the... The, I'm not the biggest uh, Paradigm Shift Death Rider fan. Like, I'm, I'm so happy he finishes a lot of matches with the Bulldog choke now. I think that works a lot better. But, uh, the paradigm shift slash um what did i call death it rider. death rider yeah that those moves a million times better than this version of the uh, dirty deeds oh isn't it's it's one of them things where like depends on how he hits it so i think some of the really high angle ones look delicious but then other ones like he just goes straight on the head sometimes i don't know they look a little bit weak in comparison but you know at the end of the day they're 10 times better than these this particular bulldog ddt finisher it just doesn't work for me and he, like you say he, i think he breaks a rib in this particular match though he doesn't really show it too much he's still flying around at the end of it in the last few minutes and, and it's only a couple of weeks later than the may 5th raw where they're doing it all again and, and this is a bit it's a side plot to the evolution story and evolution make themselves known in this particular kind of match again and this is the first time we even get this sh- a sliver of a, a triple barrel powerbomb in all four matches what were your thoughts on this final match on may 5th and how you feel that overall the series progressed oh joey i've goofed here because i did not know there was a fourth one sorry yeah um, you're cool you're cool I, I, uh, I, 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 again it's not one that's particularly popular it's a very quick quick one but it's it's I, probably the how least did I, how did least I miss fun. that in my uh in my cage matching here i'm never i'm never gonna let you live this down my friend ah, I'm, <laughs> I'm an idiot when it comes to professional wrestling and I've, I've may, may 5th yeah <laughs> and that was in uh albany new york and actually it got a bit of time it got 18 minutes so i'm gonna have to go and watch this one after and, and oh and so they're on the losing end again here so yeah, uh it's, you it's feel, not a bad match whatsoever you in on this one like again it, it's a lot of the same things there's one spot if you've, you've noticed all twitter matches where luke harper Brody lee he flips Seth Rollins up by the ankles a lot and Rollins gets the better of him not in this match he flips him up and then plows him with a truss kick right in the face and I was like yes finally he's learned his lesson and he's this is a little bit of story progression from the match point of view but evolution come down in the end of the day they look absolutely horrendous they come down like looking like a jobber sort of faction with their matching t-shirts and their shit t-shirts by the way and they get involved there's a, a big dive to the outside by in stereo by Rollins and Ambrose to all uh, all five guys except for Wyatt and Wyatt is the one who picks up the bones in the latter half of the match and pins Roman Reigns one two three in the mid and again it's a side story to what is really happening with evolution and the shield at this stage but it's still a good match it's not by any means a bad match I just think it's the worst of the four and if okay. you get a chance to check it out alan it's it's not bad but again nothing that we probably go out of your way to see either interesting that they had reigns lose twice i would have thought the pay-per-view would have been the only time they they wanted to do that but uh and as well since you're turning rollins heel you could definitely beat him here and he's the only one of the of the three that they hadn't pinned yet yeah i'm surprised they, they went with reigns to to do the job again there and it's unfortunate now because like, we know what's around the corner for them. They're Splitsville, USA in a couple of weeks' time. And unfortunately, this is probably the last of the original Shield run we'll see. But overall, the Shield and the Wyatt feud here, I think it's not bad, but it really could have been a lot better. What's your thoughts, Al? Um, I'd be a little stronger, a little more positive on it. I think for, for what it set out to achieve, I think it ticked all the boxes. I think you have that one really memorable match as a result of it. The... She'll probably get more out of it than the Wyatts. I don't. I don't. I think the Wyatts are 
with the exception of maybe Luke Harper, who's kind of got more of a chance to, as I said, spread his wings and showcase what a good worker he was in the, the course of these matches. With the exception of him, I think the Wyatt family act as a whole were just as strong before this feud as they were after it. Um, I think they really kind of struggled for things to do with that group and, and Bray in general. Really after. Pity, when you see the, the, the potential of Brody Lee, like you can see he has something here, especially he looks like he has main event potential here. Small portion of what he really was capable of doing. And I think he really wasted a lot of time. Well, WWE wasted a lot of time not giving him a lot more to do because you can see here he has great awareness in the ring he is very he's very smooth in terms of his transitions he looks believable he has great facial expressions and he lets things breathe i think that's like one thing that like shows got he doesn't just rush from spot to spot he gives everything a chance just to you know simmer and knows exactly when when to boys things up or when to slow things down and it's just a pity we never got to see him really truly shine in wwe yeah it's very smart very capable very experienced worker uh, a true kind of worker's worker but also one that the fans loved and were massively entertained by and uh yeah they could have really pushed him on in 2015 and they chose to just kind of put him back on ice and they did the the team with him and rowan kind of away from wyatt for a while which the bludgeon had, brothers yeah, yeah it had its good moments at times but then they put them on ice again and then yeah he was he was unfortunately left to to, to rot for the the last couple of uh months or a year or so of his contract i guess they didn't use him at all really and that's a it's a real shame because he was clearly someone who could have done great things in that company and the shield themselves i always feel like I know breaking up is just around the corner from him, but I really feel like not only did the three participants really, I don't think they ever really you know, floundered as a lack, lack of a better word, but they never really hit the expectations straight off the gate from when they, when they split up. And I always feel like there was, they just initially finally got their, their face shoes on and they could have had a, such more of a meaningful face run before splitting up. I don't think it was necessary the right time, but this particular feud, like you say, we got one particularly excellent match in there. We got some three other really decent matches, really good entertaining matches, nothing exactly offensive, probably nothing necessary to write home about either. But the first match itself, I thought was, you know, it was excellent pro wrestling and something that the WWE weren't really delivering at the time. There was a, like, until the Shields, there was no really strong trios sort of presence within there. And all of a sudden, these three guys were completely shining for the best part yeah, of the year. And uh, over a year, because it was like the 2012, of TLC yes. was the first one and then all the this. all the way through 2013 whether it was the the elimination chamber that year against them uh, was I think it was Seamus Ryback Cena yeah. and then all the Brian Kane Kofi and, uh, and Daniel Bryan I think really benefited a lot I think his 2013 he met the shield on the countless occasions and he he shone like a bright star yeah. I think the Usos they got Usos them from mid-card hell yeah. to being a you know a respectable tag team and that wouldn't be done without the shields really you know rub off them and i think they benefited wwe as a whole and it just shows you like if you push someone strong and make them out to be a big deal they will be a big deal Pre- perception is everything uh, cody and dustin as well weren't they yeah. uh... That was uh, another Shield opponents. Uh, Ryback, I think, especially. Now, Ryback was pretty over anyway, I think, especially at TLC and at the Elimination Chamber. But he absolutely looked like a million bucks against the Shield. They they bumped like a boss for him and they made him out to be this monster that he really should have been presented at most of the time. And it's just a pity that, like, you know, WWE, when they give you something that's really good, you know, following up on these things, it's usually a disappointing affair. Yeah, uh, it was a lot of disappointment after, after this point, unfortunately. And um, my thought is always they should have kept the shield together as a group, but had them do different things, spread their wings individually, but you don't actually break them up and you can have you can go back to them as a trio every couple of months if the situation calls for it. But you have them do different things, but they all stay baby faces you set roman mm-hmm. up for his his title match and his his challenge with, with brock at mania you, you put him on that path but you let him be a much more natural character you keep rollins as a baby face and don't let him near a microphone and you let moxley go in whatever way he naturally goes like you just let that situation you give moxley things and just see what catches on and react that's how i booked john moxley um 
you know i i I give him the trust to execute his character and then when you see something working with crowd reaction or with a particular opponent you you go with that and you take it where the character naturally goes you let it breathe that's what i do with those three guys for the next couple of years to be honest um you could even if you were uh, a good promotion you could um even do some matches uh where they're against each other as baby faces like uh singles or even if you wanted to do a big triple threat i'd probably avoid that i'm not a big triple threat fan but so like even if you if you wanted to do something like where maybe roman and rollins had to wrestle for a number one contendership going into like i don't know wrestlemania 2015 or something like that you can have them have the match as babyface against each other be like these guys are close they're obviously still members of the shield and you just have them wrestle a good old babyface match and and you maybe have some points in the match where things get a little bit aggro, but at the end they shake each other's hand and all is still good. A well subtly booked wrestling company could have done great things there, but instead they just they just put a sword through all of it. Ambrose sword becomes, is, is being generous. It's a it's a giant hammer. Yeah, uh, look, Ambrose becomes a, a circus clown. Rollins becomes an annoying heel. Reigns, they give him the right push, but they have him act and say all the wrong things. And none of it is what the crowd wanted. And you can just feel the deflation in the promotion over the next uh, 12 months. But look, that's a story for another day, I guess. It is. And it's a pity because they're all three talented guys. Listen, I'm not Roman Reigns or Seth Rollins hater, for lack of a better word, or a detractor. But I think they're definitely... They're three men who had particular set skills and they were completely, you know, enhanced with each other's company. And especially in Roman's case, when you take the other two away, he's massively exposed and like they didn't push to his strengths. Like there's a way of having a guy like Reigns push to the moon and his strengths are on show. But if you put him outside his comfort zone when he's not ready or utterly ridiculous scripted promos, he's him and it doesn't matter who he is, they're they're gonna they're gonna fall. They're gonna drown in that sort of mediocrity. And it's unfortunate that they just don't know how to book people. And that again, that was two thousand and fourteen and things have they have only gotten worse in the last seven years, unfortunately. But again, like you say, it is a story for another day. And we like to always end the show with whatever guest we have to tell us what their favourite John Moxley, Dean Ambrose, Jonathan Good kind of memory would be. So, Alan, take it away. I'm just going to go with gut instinct answer here and off the top of my head. And I think that would be uh, his entrance with Eddie Kingston at Double or Nothing last May, the first AEW show back with fans when they were wrestling the Young Bucks. And those two guys come out to... Uh, was it even Wild Thing at that point? It, it was. Have, it, it was Wild Thing, yeah. yeah. And it just, it was just an incredible moment. It felt like, it fe- it was one of these victories over the pandemic moments, I suppose, where things felt felt normal again, uh, briefly. And um, seeing how those guys reacted to the crowd, how the crowd reacted to them, how they reacted to each other um, during that entrance, it was a special, special moment. Um, I think that's probably off the top of my head, my favourite Moxley memory. It was definitely a, like a, the opposite nearly of a vicious circle. I think the crowd fed off Moxley and Kingston. Kingston and Moxton fed off them and they just kept themselves going like an absolute hurricane for that complete uh, 20 minutes match with the Bucks that year. And that, again, that was a special moment that we all really long for, I think, at the end of the day after such a, you know, a drab time with you know, clap crowds and empty arenas. And it's just, it was nice to see a bit of fan interaction. And I think both the fans and the wrestlers both appreciate it. But Alan, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. You know, where can people reach you at PW Torch or on Twitter? What would you like to plug? Oh, thanks, Joey. My pleasure. Absolutely. I had a blast uh, going back watching this stuff and also coming on and talking about it. So no, you, you for... hang up. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for the invite. But um, I can be found at Alan Forel on Twitter. That's uh, number four, L. And you can, you'll see what I got going on there. I'll be posting about it. But um, my main thing is the Progress Paradise, which is at PW Torch as part of a PW Torch VIP subscription. I would encourage people to check out PW Torch VIP. Uh, if you've never, if you're someone who dips your toe into um, the different sort of paid subscription services for wrestling, be it The Observer or 
um, Voice of Wrestling as their Patreon or post wrestling. Uh, I would also just strongly recommend what the Torch have to offer. It, it's a great deal for the amount of content you get. So much stuff churned out on, on current wrestling between the Torch newsletter, all the different articles and podcasts. But what I like to plug is the incredible historical content on there. Wade is has done an amazing job. I've been at The Observer and The Torch. And the, the thing I really oh, like course. about The Torch is how deep the archive is of, of the historical stuff. Because not only do you get all the old Torch newsletters going back to the late 80s, which is insane. Wade was back a teenager back when he started, and you can see the, the PDFs of his original newsletter, and if you're a newer fan, to, I think it would be really jaw-dropping to go back and see what those look like and see the style of writing. And I think it would be really interesting to people if they haven't experienced it. And if you're someone who are who is familiar with those days or maybe a little bit later, um, you'll really like it too. But I think a real treasure trove is the old audio. That's one thing the Torch has that nowhere else does. Uh, Wade was a saint because he kept all the uh, tape cassettes of all the audio uh, he did as part of Pro Wrestling Focus radio show in the early 90s, um, Pro Wrestling Spotlight, uh, the John Arezzi shows that he um, has the rights to. So you can listen to these things from like 1990, 92, 90, 91, 92, 93, those kind of years. And you'll hear people like Paul Heyman calling into shows and like literally trying to um, do their spin and, and do their, their hustle for like things like legitimate legal battles that they're in. Like Paul Heyman after he gets fired from WCW and he's suing them and he's like there trying to play his own spin doctor on Wade's radio show uh, or just something a little, uh, a little less cynical, something a little uh, nicer like Terry Funk just coming in and talking about what he thinks the state of wrestling is and, and what he loves about wrestling. like Things like that is just, it's amazing to go back and listen to. Look, they're taped off cassette, so audio quality isn't going to be what you're used to if you're... But they're timeless. It, it's if, great it, to listen yeah. back. I just, I remember growing up and I remember what, like, my perception of professional wrestling was in 1992 or 93. And it's amazing to go back to it because it's an eye-opener. This is a side of business that I wasn't aware of at that age. And to go back and listen yeah. to the sardines, you know, it's, it's fascinating stuff. And it's fascinating to hear some of the stuff that's said, the talking points that come up that apply to today that's where you, you like so often i'll be listening to stuff and my they'll have like these journalist round tables where dave will be on or whoever else and yeah just some of the talking points and the things that were issues in the business then that are still issues oh, now. and, and uh, this is the thing that drew me into the business more like in 90 98 99 when i first started getting aware of what was on the other side of the curtain and you know get my power slam magazine and reading through it for all like about five or six times in the day and this i ate all this stuff up and to go back and listen to these kind of audio tapes and you know historical tidbits of what was going on behind the curtain back in 92 93 or beyond it's Oh, it's mind-blowing stuff, and it's just like I could listen to that stuff all day if I had time. But unfortunately, as an adult, time is not um not something I have anymore. <laughs> no, no, it's it's, it's difficult to, to find the time for sure. But um, yeah, and if, if as for my show up on the torch, um, uh, kind of pretty varied. Sometimes we'll be talking modern wrestling. Sometimes we'll be talking old stuff. It's been like the Cesaro episode at the moment. Yeah, it's been old stuff more often than not recently. Um, you know, the pandemic is. Japan's still struggling with a lot of things. It, I don't want to say killed my mojo for current wrestling, but it, but it's, it's, e it's easy to put it on pause when you're not yeah. really enjoying it as much. We, we do an AEW show with Justin Shapiro and, and Barry Ladd. Um, we do that like every two months or so. So that's like a real uh, where we kind of just do a big check in on all things AEW go, that are going on and what we've been liking, what we've been disliking. People lo love those shows. So that's kind of the, the the thing I do most regularly with regard to current wrestling, but um, to sort of... I, I imagine the Satnam Singh praise is going to be high in a couple of months' time. Uh, well, we'll see. I think Barry's a fan. I think Barry's a fan. I'm For me, the jury's still out. I'm going to Gonna see what this what this big man can offer, uh, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, so we we, we talk AEW um, every couple of weeks. But uh, uh, what I'm really excited about right now is the um, for the month of April, I'm, I'm doing shows specifically about 
Cork and Hall in Japan, which is at its 60th anniversary, um, just uh, just gone this weekend. They did a New Japan All Japan joint show, and uh, um, yeah, it's uh, to me it's holy ground for professional wrestling. It's the greatest <laughs> professional wrestling venue, and it's 60 years old now, and uh, we're commemorating that with a series of shows on that topic. And it's you might think, how can you do a series of shows about a building? Trust me. Uh, we can. <laughs> it's easily so, done. So many, yeah. so many absolute tremendous pieces of match, wrestling over there. Like you say, it, just for me, over the last 30 years, I can only imagine what the 60 years is like. Yeah, I could I could talk about stuff from Corkin for a year straight. So doing a month is no hassle whatsoever. And then we also got the uh, 34L30 uh, series, not to be confused with ESPN's 30 for 30. Um, basically what I'm doing is because I've been watching wrestling 30 years now, um, I'm kind of doing a, a, a long-term project over the next year or so where, uh, every couple of weeks we'll do a show about one of my favorite wrestlers with a guest who I will have on, who is also a fan of, of that person and just, yeah, talk about one of my favorite wrestlers from 30 years watching wrestling. And so far we've done Yuji Nagata, uh, Big Van Vader, and Cesaro Claudio Castagnoli so three absolute legends yeah and, and three really fun shows that I enjoyed and, and Joey like I think we discussed off air I think when you enjoy doing your show it's probably a sign it's it's a it's a decent show so oh, it's um, good it's, for the crack being able to talk to someone Joe, about like something that you're passionate about whether it's good or bad especially the good obviously but like if you're doing three particular shows there on three particular wrestlers that you really enjoy it's it's going to be happy times and it's going to be fun times reliving these moments and again picturing where you were at that stage when you really first fell in love with that particular guy or whatever like you know like like for like like we, we unfortunately had the memories of of razor ramon the last few weeks you know and obviously isn't past death but it's great to look back and think god remember when we were younger and we we, we used to pretend to be razor in the you know in the in the schoolyard or whatever or you know like for me it was going through home base rocking under the ladders like i was an idiot but like it's just this is this is this is, this is why I love pro wrestling so much because it's it's nostalgic for me. It was there for when I was younger and watching back. And again, if you're watching like the likes of Claudio's matches from back then, like you you're suddenly transported to where you were when you first imagined, and like they are special times and special memories. I'm sure for yourself. So uh, yeah, check all that out. And again, Joey, thank you for having me on. No, thank you, Al, for coming on, having a good chat with us today. But that's all we have time for. So guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to my repetitive voice for the best part of it. And of course alan's smooth voice you can follow me at awesome joe directly on twitter or follow the podcast at mox podcast and we shall see you again next week take care guys